welcome to uh, another rousing episode of Irreligiosophy. Now this one's actually promising to be pretty entertaining, and uh, the reason why I say entertaining is, after Charlie and I ha were talking about it, we joke around a lot about how I'm still a member of the LDS Church, and how sooner or later they're going to excommunicate me. Well, this particular podcast is going to be why the, ex or why the LDS Church should excommunicate me, and what excommunication entails. So we're uh, <laughs> we're uh, going to provide lots of evidence for the inevitable church court that's going to be called around Leighton to excommunicate him. Is and, that what we're doing today? Yeah, and oddly enough, it is inevitable. I was reading some of the things that would be against me during the church court, and uh, i got to tell you, about three-quarters of it I've already pulled off, and uh, I'm not going to be confessing them anytime soon. I I'm just surprised that uh, it hasn't happened already. I mean, I think it's just out of sheer laziness that these people aren't kicking you out of their church. <laughs> I think you're right. Now, before we begin on excommunication in and of itself, the reason why this is so entertaining is my father was actually on the council that excommunicated Charlie's father. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, it's kind of a long story, and I'm not sure how in-depth I should go. But uh, we lived in Park City, um, and I think your dad was our home teacher for a while. Uh, you got me. I was like five <laughs> when this happened. He lived down the street. And my parents never went to church. They um, had beliefs that uh, the Mormon church had fell astray and um, it was wrong. So they never went to church. We just had, I mean, we covered this all pretty much in the initial podcast, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so one of the members, uh, I think, swung by and asked my mom why she didn't go to church. And she kept pestering her. And I think your dad gave her the assignment to kind of bring my parents back into fellowship. Well, that got into doctrinal questions, and they went back and forth and back and forth, and eventually a church court was convened, and my parents got excommunicated. That's the way to bring them back into the fold. Nice nice work. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure your parents have come back to church after that, too. I mean, after all, questioning it and getting dis or excommunicated is perfect. Yeah, uh, the only times they've been back to church, I think a, a couple of my, a brother and a sister have... Uh, joined the LDS church, um, I think, at the prodding of their spouses. <laughs> and they sort of, you know, went to their little baptism or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. well, I can understand that considering uh, I just found out that my girlfriend's father-in-law doesn't like me, and uh, the theory on the table is, A, because I have a good relationship with his wife and he doesn't like that. Hang on a second. How is it possible that any person doesn't like you? I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. Now, the so you, you guys have actually sat around the table and discussed your theories as to why he doesn't actually, like you. Actually, this just barely came up about two or three days ago. I can give you ten reasons off the top of my head why he shouldn't like you. Wait, wait, wait. I was the one who fixed his roof. He should like me. <laughs> No, 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 but I'm serious. One of the reasons that actually came up, and the only reason why I'm bringing it up, is one of the reasons why he didn't like me, which was brought up, is because I'm an atheist and because I do this show. Well, that is true. Atheists are very, very unlikable. Yes, I mean, obviously, that's why we've only got two listeners. Now, <laughs> <laughs> to get back on track... Um, where the LDS Church is concerned, there's actually a few ways that you can get in trouble and a few ways for them to solve the problems. Uh, one is private counsel and caution, and 
as a youth growing up in the LDS church, I got a lot of that. And, yeah. <laughs> what are the, this is fascinating to me because I uh, essentially never went to church as a kid. Uh, my churches were just Sunday schools at home or at my grandparents where they just teach us about the one true church, right? So every once in a while, I suppose I like spend the night at your house or something like that, and you guys drag me over there. So I don't. I really have a very uh, limited knowledge of the actual workings of the church. Every time I went, it was so excruciatingly boring. boring. I never wanted to go back. So uh, Leighton's done all the research on this. This is essentially Leighton's show. So what? So the bishop, uh, like, here's something that you've been uh, wayward, I guess, and then. He just calls you into a meeting. Is that what happens? That can be one of the ways. My now, son Leighton. Yes, yes. I've I've heard on the grapevine that you like to spill your seed in the soil. <laughs> engaged in heavy petting. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly. And you know what? That's funny that you you laugh. Well, about I remember that, I did go to seminary, and I remember having multiple lectures on the evils. I think we even watched a movie that was made in the 50s where For this guy tried to yeah, make out with this girl and she you know, smacked him and left the car. But uh, I always thought the, these terms that people make up, you know, we talked about imprecatory prayer on Atheist News Network. Yeah. It's just curse. Call it what it is, yeah, man. It's, it's a, a curse. curse. That's right? exactly right. I'd appreciate it if instead of saying heavy petting, you'd just say feeling up. <laughs> <laughs> I would love making to hear. it to what is that first base? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, first base is kissing, isn't it? I never know what the base. I, I've are. never. Known. Second base, I thought was um, above the waist, uh, like boobs. Uh, third base is below the waist, and the home run is. Uh, I've always had trouble stopping at any base before making Although it I've, home. Although so. I've heard, <laughs> I've also heard that third base is oral sex, but you know who knows? These yeah. bases need to be standardized. Yes, we need a standardized version of bases. <laughs> I would love is if in general conference they say, you know, instead of saying heavy petting is not to be blah blah blah, they'd say. Here's a diagram of the bases. <laughs> you cannot touch the boobs until you're married, all right? Yes, especially the nipple area. <laughs> Completely out. So anyway. Anyway, so, so yes, I mean, if a bishop heard through the grapevine that one of his flock, especially the youth, may be, you know, have had a beer or may have been making out with somebody, something like that, then he could call you in. And he could sit back and, in fact, it happened to me a couple of times, but sit back, act all high and mighty, and pretty much ask, so is there anything you would like to tell me? Is there anything you would like to get off your chest? And at that point, you're just a kid staring at him going, okay, what does he know? Exactly. <laughs> what out of my many sins has he become aware of? Yeah. <laughs> well, the other way to get called in for this you never, council. You oh. never said anything, right? I mean, that's the no. same thing as when your parent comes up and says, do you have anything to tell me? And you're like, uh, no, not really. Yeah, that's pretty much Why what it was. Why don't you tell me? Because it's like a cop pulling you over, right? You know why I pulled you over? No, I don't, officer. Really? <laughs> you expect me to confess everything <laughs> bad I did? What's it? I mean, that ridiculous. The last time, and I was actually caught for this, and the reason why I was caught was because the girl confessed to the bishop. She felt so bad Son about me a... feeling her feeling her up. So Mormon girls. Yeah. Um, Come on now. At least listen to this podcast for a little while. We'll loosen you up just fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, but I mean, yeah. So if, if the bishop even hears something or even suspects something, he can pull you in and try to get you to confess. If you actually confess, it's supposed to go easier on you, whatever punishment they determine, which as a youth, it's 
You can't perform uh, your little uh, priesthood duties like passing the sacrament. You can't take the sacrament. That's it, horrible. Well, it should be against the law, that sort of punishment. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is it, it's all about shame. Because if yep. you do not take the sacrament in an LDS church, everybody is looking over there. And you can imagine all these young kids going, well, why isn't he taking the sacrament? What did he do? Yeah. Well, I've heard discussions at the dinner table. Did you see that so-and-so didn't take the sacrament at church today? <laughs> None of your business, you gossips. Yeah, and that's, that's what it is. It's all about shame. But the other way that you get into these private counseling cautions, well, there's two act ways, actually. If you're going for any sort of recommend, I guess when you're a youth, you can go in and you can actually be baptized. You can't perform the baptisms for the dead. But in order to get that, you need to go and have a private counsel. And the other way is, I didn't know this was actual law, but I'll get to how I know in, in just a little bit. <laughs> but uh, they bishops, the bishops are actually instructed to have either a yearly or once every six months session with all of the youth to drag them in and to pretty much, you know, ask them how they're doing, if there's anything they want to confess, that sort of thing. Yeah, in seminary, in order to graduate, I had to have an interview with a bishop who I'd never met before. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's actually funny. I never had that. Yeah. What? I never they had allowed that. you to graduate without a Well, technically, they were just glad to be rid of me. Oh. But <laughs> God, they hounded me. Yeah, well, that's because... Uh, he said, who's your bishop? I said, I don't know. Here's where I live. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, I was just a lazy Mormon. I was the one that was asleep in seminary or skipping it all you. the time. They didn't really care. They didn't really care about me. They thought I was already saved. You, on the other hand, you know, you were already burning in hell. Well, I think I, they viewed me as a prospect because even though I didn't go to church, I was attentive. And, and, you know, I, like I said, I was scripture champion at one year. And that is just sad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm proud of that, you bastard. I know you're proud of it. That's why it's sad. I'm scripture champion. You beat out a bunch of grade school, uh, whatever, high school kids over something that during that time you shouldn't have cared about. It's absolutely utterly meaningless, but I'm going to put that on my epitaph. I'll be the one signing your epitaph, so I'll be, I'll be sure Chuck to Chuck Morrison, that. you know, 1972 to 2009. Scripture champion. <laughs> 1988 scripture champion. <laughs> oh, that's just sad. I, I think the best I totally I got, want that. I got like a gold star once. I think that was the best I got. About the only time I woke up in seminaries when they were flipping mar fake marshmallows out of a sling at a cutout and I ate the marshmallows. But <laughs> what, what was the point of that lesson? I don't know. I think it was just to get us all out of our seats, but yeah. I was sleeping until I heard the sling going off. Seminary is pretty horrible. The, um, the high point of seminary for us was seeing how far we could irritate the uh, teacher. That was actually fun. Too. Yeah. Um, I, we'd all perk up. We'd get some scriptures and go in there, and we'd argue them, and then he'd come back, you know. Yeah, I remember <laughs> he had this wall. Of gold stars, depending on how far that you said you had read, right? Yeah. These guys, it's so funny because when they you go into the bishops, they should have the gift of discernment, right? Of course. They should just know that you've been bad, and they should know what kind of sin, because God should be whispering in their ear. They don't know. They have no freaking clue. I am proof and point to that. <laughs> Trust me. So he had this thing on his wall where he'd put little gold stars the farthest you, you read in the Book of Mormon, so everyone could see, right? 
where everyone else was in the Book of Mormon. Do you really think anybody's not going to say that they've read that far? I didn't. I had no gold stars. <laughs> and I did read. So I was... <laughs> I started an argument because I went in there and I said, there's this one thing. It's either in the Book of Mormon or in the New Testament where it said, um, you shalt not trumpet thy deeds or something. You know, I think it was Jesus was talking about people who fast and they're all, oh, I think oh, I really my think, stomach. I think that's in the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Could be. Uh, I don't know. And he says that um, they shall have their reward because people see them and they think that they're righteous and that sort of thing. Um, so when you pray, you should pray in secret, you know, and do your good deeds in That's secret. That's the Book blah, of Mormon. Blah, blah. That sounds Book of Mormon to me. And then um, he came back with, don't hide your light under a bushel. <laughs> We're starting to argue back and forth. It was pretty good. He got pretty irritated. He actually, we never had a closing prayer in seminary, but oh, that day we did because the spirit had fled the room and it wasn't a... <laughs> A scene of happiness and joy. Well, anyway, so that's the first part. You get your private counsel and caution. The next part is informal probation, and that's what I was talking about, where you can't really perform your, your duties, you can't take the sacrament. The next part is more severe. That's formal probation. And what that is, is it's a little bit more severe. It, it lasts up to a uh, six months or something like that from the... Uh, from the uh, church handbook of instructions, something again I'll get to. So hang on a second. The only difference between informal probation and formal probation is the duration of time that you can't take the sacrament? As far as I can see, that's about it. What's the length of time for informal probation? Um, or he just says, month or two don't take until... the sacrament until I tell you, basically. I've been, t been on informal probation, and uh, it's basically don't take the sacrament until you feel... That oh, you and God. God have come to terms and you have repented far enough for it. So, it, what happens if you go next Sunday and you take the sacrament? Uh, that's pretty much what I did. What about, so, <laughs> what about formal probation? When they say, don't take the sacrament for six months, and you show up and you take the sacrament, what happens? Uh, as far as I know, if they catch you, you get counseled again, again and again, and then it moves on from there. Actually, you can be disfellowshipped for not following these probations if you continually so, go against you. them. So if you go against them, then when you walk into the church, everyone turns their back on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. They Actually, shun you. The funny thing is, yeah, disfellowship is, is the very next step, and then you've got excommunication after that. The greatest thing I love about disfellowshipment is that you get everything taken away from you. Um, you... Uh, you don't get to take the sacrament, everything else like that. And yet, they still want you to pay your tithing and oh. to come to church. <laughs> I actually read that. I read that. In the church handbook of instructions, I read that. So You, you can't take the sacrament, but you can still pay your 10%. That's exactly right. Oh, God. They encourage it because that's supposed to keep you close of to God course. and close into the church, and therefore you can come back. Of course. It's actually a sign that you are repenting if you are paying your tithing. And in disfellowshipment, you are allowed to come to uh, public meetings. So they save money on bread and water because you're not eating the bread and water. Uh -huh. And you have to still pay your 10%. Uh -huh. That's pretty weak punishment. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next one after that... See, wait a second. Uh, all right, all right. You get a lot of blessings from paying tithing, right? Uh huh. So if you stopped paying tithing, you wouldn't get those blessings. Isn't that more of a punishment? Obviously, if you're disfellowshipped, you're trying to get back in, supposedly. 
and therefore you are trying to prove that you are repenting, well, what, therefore you should pay it. Well, then on that basis, what should happen is you should take a little piece of the bread and eat it. Not the whole thing. <laughs> Just little by little. And a tiny sip like... of the water, <laughs> gradually increasing until you're fellowshipped again. Alright, all right. well, disfellowshipment can actually last a year. That's kind of the guideline for disfellowshipment. And that's for serious offenses. That's for serious, but not too serious offenses. Like marijuana as opposed to cocaine. Pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if you're growing marijuana in your basement opposed to having a meth lab. Yeah, yeah. Or you're growing it, but you're not selling it. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you grow it and not sell it? Because you're smoking it yourself. Yeah, exactly. I got gotcha. you. Taking it yourself. Yeah. Obviously, you've had a lot of experience I, with growing I, it. Absolutely no idea. <laughs> All right, well. I was asked in the eighth grade, the eighth grade, where do you think you get drugs? I said, I don't know, the drugstore? And he laughed at me. <laughs> Please and tell me that was a teacher asking you and not no, one of your friends. It was a friend. Oh, God. <laughs> I said, well, if it's not in the drugstore, how do you get it? <laughs> And Charlie that's, has just proved his lack of street smarts that's at this the, point. That's the extent of my street cred uh, growing up in Park City, Utah. Wow, that is pathetic. Yeah. I could have bought weed at the age of 12. No, I had absolutely no idea who, even that it was possible, number one. Number two, where I'd go. And I'm sure the first time if I went to buy weed, uh, cops would have come and arrested me on the spot. Yeah, it, Absolutely yeah. certain. Your type of luck and your street creds would, would actually draw some luck. <laughs> Be an undercover officer offering me the weed. I, I guarantee it. Yeah. <laughs> That's just pathetic. But yeah. all, right, all right. So continuing on. <laughs> after disfellowship. You have not learned your lesson after your year of disfellowship. You are still... Well, Heavy petting. No, and... no, no. Well, that's if you continue to go against in these smaller sins. But disfellowshipment is like, okay, you were bad. You came to us. Now, actually, they they have a criteria down for how severe you should get it. If you committed a sin years ago, and yet you still continued in the church, still were strong, so on and so forth, and either A, you were caught, or B, you, uh, you uh, actually confessed of it, they don't actually punish you as badly for that sin. So if you committed like adultery, and then ten years later you confess it, it's fine. You really? Yeah, it's oh. in the church handbook of instructions. I read that last night, and my jaw dropped open. What about if you commit the one unforgivable sin of turning away from God? Or you can't do that unless you actually know God face to face. Blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is the one unforgivable sin. Oh, you and I are screwed. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so uh, that I, that, that's in the New Testament too, right? You can say all the things bad you want about the Son of Man, but, but you cannot you blaspheme against Holy the Holy Ghost. Ghost. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm not sure about this, but I think it's been interpreted in Mormon religion to shedding of innocent blood. That's how you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost. I have no idea how they get to that point. But that's what I heard as a kid, that that's how you... It's not just denying the Holy Ghost, it's shedding of innocent blood. But isn't that kind of like you're participating in the crucifixion of the Savior because he's the only truly innocent person? Therefore, how can you shed innocent blood? Kill a baby? Pretty much if it's not self-defense and you commit murder, that's innocent blood, they consider it. What if I stub my toe at the age of six? And curse? And shed my own blood. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good point. 
Actually, at that point, you would be. Uh, you should be excommunicated right. at the age of six. You can't, you can't be held accountable until you're eight, right? So yep, you're essentially but... innocent and saved from the wiles of Satan until you're eight. <laughs> I think but I found a loophole. if you punch your little brother at the age of eight and he's six, he then a, you've shed innocent blood. He gets a nosebleed, yeah. Wow, this has been the low of the religiosity <laughs> conversation. <laughs> all right, we've veered fairly far from... All yeah, right, so you're talking uh, now about excommunication. All right, we, we're to the point. 20 minutes in, we've got to the point of the yeah. podcast. I wonder which one of us has been slowing this down. <laughs> I just got to fill the hour, you know, I'm trying. Yeah, yeah, well, it's not as if I have enough to fill the hour. You have to fill it. Thank you. I, I don't know. I have... I haven't done any research on this. Yeah. Charlie's been lazy. Let's <laughs> just point that out. Well, according to the Church Handbook of Instructions, the purpose of church discipline are three reasons. To save the souls of the transgressors. That sounds kind of hot, church discipline. Yeah. yeah well, they've actually got a dominatrix woman in the back. <laughs> I'd start going to church if that were true. <laughs> It'd make things more interesting, that's for sure. You see a whole long line of men confessing their sins. Yeah, well, I, I, as a child, I would have done it a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number two, to protect the innocent. Number three, to safeguard the purity, integrity, and good name of the church. Those are the three reasons why they go through these disciplines of disfellowshipment, uh, excommunication, everything else like that. What do they mean to protect the innocent? To protect the innocent, basically... From, like, wrongful accusations? Uh, no. No, they've, uh... You can actually be excommunicated if you're beating your kid. Oh, so the protection of the children. Yeah. That really protects them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they've got a whole bunch of legal mumbo-jumbo in uh, the church handbook of instructions. Um, and I guess we should explain, um... When I was doing the research, I came across this church handbook of instructions, and I had no idea what it was, so I did a quick search, downloaded a PDF file on it, and uh, as I was reading through, it's basically given out to stake leaders, bishops, everything else like that, in order for them to know how to run things, give them some guidance. Uh, after I downloaded it and read through most of it, I actually discovered that it is very, very highly protected. In fact, you have to go through this entire liturgy of just lines and lines of things you have to do. And let me give you an idea. Hang on a second. I, I find this very interesting because on the one hand, I applaud their efforts at standardizing these things and giving people guidelines and rules and that sort of thing. On the other hand, it seems to me they don't really believe that this bishop, upon assuming the mantle of bishophood, uh, gets any sort of divine guidance Intuition. or gifts. They don't really believe it. If they did the entire handbook would not be necessary. Yeah, and it's it's a pretty lengthy handbook. I guarantee you they didn't have it in the early church. No. I don't think Joseph Smith sat down and said, okay. On page 109 <laughs> is when we begin the excommunication process. 109 to get to excommunication. Do you have any idea how many pages I had to go through oh just to find God. excommunication? Tell me you didn't read that whole thing. No, I skimmed Good. most of it. Good. There are some interesting parts, but the rest of it is just boring. Yeah, members whose close relatives belong to apostate groups. That's me. Yeah. yeah well, I'm not a member. <laughs> <laughs> However, if you were a member, That's my wife. you could not get this book. You could not get the handbook of instructions unless you demonstrate clearly that they repudi repudiate. I couldn't even say that. 
these apostate religious te teachings before they may be issued a recommend. So it's like the um, ancient Christians brought before Pliny the Younger saying, you need to worship this idol, otherwise we're going to cut your head off. Pretty close to it, yeah. So you say, no, I totally repudiate my family and my friends. Please give me the handbook. Yeah, basically awesome. you need a recommend for this. The next part is persons who are considering or have undergone a transsexual operation. That's a sin? That's a sin. In fact, oh it's an excommunicable sin. They should not be baptized. No. Persons who have already undergone... An elective transsexual operation may be baptized if they are otherwise found worthy in an interview with the mission president. So basically... Such persons may not receive the priesthood or a temple recommend. Wow, those bastards. Yeah, so if you go under a transsexual operation before finding about, out about the church... You can never go into the temple. You can be baptized, but never go into the temple. You can pay and, tithing. Yeah, <laughs> and you can take the sacrament. You just can't reap the benefits of your tithing. Exactly. But if you are in the church and you are considering or you go through a transsexual operation, you're out. You oh, are excommunicated. Man. That's amazing. And they tell you to hold off baptizing uh, until they've decided whether or not to get the operation. Now, the next part is probably going to get you riled up too. You cannot get this handbook if you have undergone surrogate motherhood. It is strongly discouraged in the church. Which is kind of fascinating to me, because in some medical situations, this would be important. Well, yeah, if you can't have a kid yourself, and you want um, someone to bear your biological child, you use a surrogate mother. And so they, they strongly discourage that. Why? Because it's technology? Uh, obviously, because... I they haven't Amish? been able to figure it out, in all Amish. honesty. I saw that, and I couldn't figure it out. I, I was sitting there going, surrogate motherhood? It sounds like somebody's helping somebody else out. I mean, maybe they just figure that this woman doesn't want to get pregnant because her boobs will start to sag. And so, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'm sure they're caring for the woman. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's their primary point. Well, oh, look, Harry, vasectomy. I've had that operation. Yes, you have. You cannot receive Son this book. Itch. In fact, this is what I love. This, this, is, a, this is a little clip uh, from a, a website. The church strongly discourages surgical sterilization as an elective form of birth control. It should be considered only if, one, medical conditions seriously jeopardize life or health, or two, birth defects or serious trauma have rendered a person mentally incompetent and not responsible for his or her actions. Oh, I fit under the second criteria. Uh, so basically, you just want to be fixed so you can go out there and uh, rape and pillage all you, you like uh, and, and not certainly, have <laughs> You certainly don't want any mentally challenged people reproducing. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I was biting my tongue the, because one of us had to. The church is practicing a form of eugenics there. Yeah. By saying, hey, look, the only reason you can uh, go ahead and get sterilized uh, is if, I guess, you know, med a medical condition with your spermatic cord <laughs> seriously <laughs> jeopardizes your life or health. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. But it must guess... be medical judgment. And the decision must be consulted with each other and with their bishop. Oh, go to hell. And should receive divine confirmation of their decision through prayer before you can have any sort of vasectomy, tube-tying, anything. That's fantastic. Now, does that make sense to you? This, you can have your tubes tied or vasectomy, 
That's fine and dandy. The if, church is against that. If you're retarded, if you, you're retarded, you can. You can have you, it. They, the church does not want you reproducing. What does the church stand on when you're using condoms or birth control? It's the same thing. I've heard different things on that. I've heard that uh, some people say, "Oh, it's okay for a little while until you're financially stable." Other people say, "You know, there's no reason to ever use condoms, right?" It's like the Catholic Church. It's yeah. a form of birth control. God wants you to have a, as many babies as humanly possible and grow your kingdom on the earth. Um, and so it's uh, immoral to use condoms or any form of birth control. Doesn't make any sense to me. Not any sense at all either. They should. <laughs> I can see your face looking at the next one. <laughs> all right, well, we should move on. Uh, the next one is sperm donation. If you have done a sperm donation, you cannot receive this handbook. So what's your medical opinion on that? Why, why is that? Is that spilling the seed in the earth? I guess it's the sin of Onan. <laughs> but all you're doing with sperm donation is delaying fertilization. Uh huh. You're squirting that stuff into a cup. It's frozen and then uh, brought back when uh, they need to do like in vitro fertilization. Someone's looking for sperm. And donor. therefore God's child is going to get through sooner or exactly. later. He's just a little cold for a little the, while. The, the problem is he may or may not be Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> That may be exactly why. We can't have Mormon children popping out of you Catholics. Don't want, <laughs> you don't want to reproduce where the possibility of having a Mormon child is not there. I think that's where that comes yeah. from. Now, now, this next one, it just had me raising an eyebrow. You cannot receive the handbook if you have undergone hypnosis for anything other than mental disorders. The use of hypnosis under competent professional medical supervision for the treatment of diseases or mental disorders is a medical question to be determined by competent medical. Let me tell you, hypnosis isn't a medical therapy. <laughs> I knew you would love this one. <laughs> I'm going to do that next time a patient comes in with swine flu. We need to Keep your eye on hypnosis. this watch. Watch it, watch it. Yeah, personally, I think hypnosis is a crock of shit. When you come out of the hypnosis, the, your hypnotic trance, you will be cured. Yeah. I, I, and buck like a chicken. <laughs> see, I've undergone hypnosis at one time at a state fair. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, trust me, there was no hypnosis involved. In fact, I was just making a fool of myself because it was fun. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. There's, I don't think there's ever been any proof that, that hypnosis induces an altered state of consciousness. I haven't seen any articles to that effect. And most telling, if you're in an altered state of consciousness, such as the, they propose for hypnosis, why do you never do anything that's against your moral values? Why can't you have someone who's hypno, uh, hypnotized on a stage um, commit incest or do something they otherwise normally wouldn't do? That tells me they're still inside there directing everything. Yeah. yeah. Hypnosis. God almighty. You know, if you... If you <laughs> If you believe in this shit, like, you know, you can heal people with uh, virgin olive oil and a little blessing, a chant, or a ritual, then I guess it makes it more uh, easy. It makes it easier for you to believe in this crap. Speaking of healing, you just reminded me. I was uh, discussing things with my girlfriend. We've brought it up before, how my dad did the blessing on her little girl. and how Cast out a demon. Cast out a demon, yes. Gilder of being possessed by a demon. I thought that was very kind of him. Yeah, I finally admitted to my girlfriend that I thought the whole thing was foolishness and that I could see absolutely no change in the little girl. Uh-oh. No, actually, uh, she kind of looked at me and she says, Yeah, I, I kind of did the same thing, but I didn't want to make your dad or your mom feel bad. But she's like, Yeah, I didn't see any difference either. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, so, you know, hypnosis, uh, casting out demons, okay, hypnosis bad. Was the demon casting out confirmed by prayer and divineness? I don't know. I Did was your dad ask your dad if he prayed afterwards and confirmed that and got a divine confirmation that the demon was gone? Yes. <laughs> Where exactly did the demon go? Because Jesus cast him into pigs. So. <laughs> yeah. Your parents have any pets? Uh, no, no. Maybe it was just one of uh, my nieces and nephews that's living with them. They just kind of keep casting them into them. Maybe he cast. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I, I know where you were going with that. Probably good to bite your tongue. <laughs> All right, so the next and last thing on the list is name removal and church discipline. So basically, if you request your name removed or you're excommunicated or you've been disciplined by the church, you cannot receive this. And uh, they, they have a little sentence on the bottom that says, Any evidence of unresolved transgression should be noted on the report of administrative action form. So priesthood leaders may resolve such matters if the indiv individual applies for readmission into the church. This is interesting because uh, I've had several anecdotal um, reports that it is extremely difficult to remove your name from the membership roles of the LDS church. They don't like doing it. Um, I don't know whether it's they hope you're going to come back and come to your senses and, and go back to church and then it's going to require more paperwork for them. Or they just are interested in inflating their numbers. Um, you know, because all the general conferences, you know, oh, we're at 11 million members. Oh, more than 50% of the members are outside the United States, blah, blah, blah. They love membership numbers. They love hearing about their growth. And apparently they're growing fairly steadily, but again, that's easy for a small church to do. It's harder for, it's a, harder for if you've got a billion members yeah. in your church. Um, and also because they're not taking actions to excommunicate me, that just goes to prove. Right. That. And again, I, I do think they like to hold on to as many names as humanly possible. Uh, so I, I've heard it's very difficult. But they say if you just request your name once to be removed, that they'll do it. Uh, no, not that I've heard. Oh, really? I've I've heard it's actually a little bit more difficult than that. Why? Why would they make it more difficult? I have no idea. I've never done it myself. I'm looking forward to being excommunicated. Our next podcast <laughs> <laughs> will be the trials and tribulations Leighton went through after he requested to remove his name from the I am not going to request that. You will. I will not. Your voice will sound a little different. <laughs> <laughs> forward. All right. Um, the decision to excommunicate a Melchizedek priesthood. Ah. Now this is interesting because there are two types of priesthood in the Mormon church. Yes. There's the Aaronic and the Melchizedek. Now, interesting. Why, why are there two types of priesthood? Um, oh, wow. I used to know that. Uh, you know, one of them uh, covers it's just the sacrament. The sacrament. And, and you know, you can be, what, 12 when you get it? Yeah, you, you get it at 12, and then you carry it up until you're 18 when you're eligible to get the Melchizedek priesthood. Uh, supposedly the Aaronic priesthood that's is the, kind of the training wheels. That's the lower priesthood. That's the lower priesthood. They're the training wheels to kind of teach you all of the ordinances you need in order to get the Melchizedek priesthood and then move on into the more fantastic ideas. Of so we know who Aaron was. He's a brother of Moses. Yeah. Who's Melchizedek? I can't remember for the life of me. Some Old Testament dude? Uh, Gotta be. Probably not. <laughs> Otherwise, they just call it the Christ priesthood. The Christ priesthood? Yeah. Well, anyway, to excommunicate a Melchizedek priesthood holder, it needs to be done by uh, the leadership of the stake. Interestingly enough, for female and adolescent male members, the bishop can decide whether or not excommunication is needed. 
for female for female and adolescent male <laughs> members. That's awesome. Because they the females do not hold the Melchizedek priesthood. Therefore, they don't have all of the keys. Because they don't hold this fictional, imaginary priesthood keychain, I guess. And it was funny, because they always argue, like I was arguing with your brother, um, so you hold the Melchizedek priesthood, yes. So does that mean you can do all these miracles like everyone uh, in the you know in, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, you can do all these miracles? Yes, I have the authority, or I have the keys to do it, but I don't have the authority. Yeah, I, I've heard that same argument. <laughs> so, in in theory, your brother holds the key to resurrect people, but he can't do it unless he's because authorized. Unless he's authorized by God to do it. And I, well, that, I'm wondering what paperwork you need to file to become authorized for that. <laughs> because I think only one person, right, at any one time holds both the keys and the authority. And that's, that's the Thomas S. Monson, the reptile dude. <laughs> why doesn't he resurrect then? Why Why doesn't he resurrect the last prophet? I mean, wouldn't it behoove <laughs> the church to have several prophets with all the keys? He doesn't want to do that. He's wanted to be prophet for as long as he's been <laughs> on this earth. <laughs> all right, now we're getting to the meat of excommunication. All right. All right. So, the, the sins... Worthy of excommunication. Not yet. Not the sins yet. We're getting close, though. All right, We're now, already at the trial, though. These are just we, the general... You're putting the cart before the horse. No, no, no. These are just the general guidelines, and then All we right. get into the sins. All Put right. your pantyhose on, little girl. It's not interesting. It is I want sins. Yeah, well, we'll get to sins, and trust me, we've got a list of sins that we're going to go through and right. see how many. All right, all right. Carry on. So... The first one, members who have committed serious transgressions, especially violations of temple covenants. I would love to find out what those temple covenants yeah, are. Yeah, one of them is not to tell anyone what the co temple covenants are. <laughs> well, uh, finding out about that he secret handshake from your friend's dad, yeah. that, that was probably a violation. That is an excommunicable offense. I really want to learn that secret handshake. So we can they used to go through the motions, you know, I think before, like the late 80s. They used to take their thumb and they'd say, I would rather, or if I ever divulge these secrets, let my throat be cut and my organs spill on the yeah, ground. And they'd make those little yeah. movements. All right. They so don't do that anymore because apparently that's a little, little too much Bronze Age graphic. mythology. Yeah. <laughs> Please tell me where you put the line at Bronze Age mythology. Yeah. Where, where is the line on that? All right. So the next one is... Members who have been disfellowshipped and have not repented, and for whom excommunication, and this is the good part, seems to offer the best hope for reformation. Oh, whatever. So basically, disfellowshipment isn't working enough, so you have to intimidate further by excommunication. So you completely cut them off from all church activities and fellowship in the hope that that tough love will bring them back to the fold. Yeah. 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 Uh, this one's interesting. Members whose conduct makes them a serious threat to others and whose church membership facilitates their access to victims. That would be Leighton. And bishops, since they don't have priests in, in Mormons. <laughs> That's right. I wonder how widespread um, uh, pedophilia or child molestation is in the Mormon church. Well, Will know. we ever know? Because they, they, they do these interviews, by the way, themselves. Yeah. The parents are not allowed in it. The kids are like you know, seven or eight years old, and they'll go in there and they'll ask all these questions, but it's just the bishop and the kid in the room. Yeah. Very suspicious. I mean, every I would once never in a while, allow that. Yeah. Every once in a while, the bishop will have his two counselors in there, but most of the time, you're in there with the bishop by yourself. 
I guess in Mormon minds, that is completely unthinkable to happen, but it is a curious thought. It's thinkable. Yeah, it's thinkable, especially what happened in the Catholic Church. Right. Yeah. Anyway, the next one is church leaders or prominent members whose transgressions significantly impair the good name or moral influence of the church in the community that is aware of the transgression. Now that... That's my parents. Is, that's your parents, and that's the category that's really stomping me right now. Oh, there. that's you. Yeah, because I am in the community. Um, we have two listeners, so therefore I am well You're affecting known. those two from ever becoming Mormons. Exactly. You're thwarting God's plan. Yeah. Excommunication is mandatory for murder and is almost always required for incest. I would like to see the exception... <laughs> <laughs> when is excommunication not a good idea for people who've committed incest? I think that's where you get to brother and sister. Because I know in reading this that if it's father to child or stepfather to child or something like that, adopted to child, then it's excommunicated. But if it's brother to sister... But if it's Cleopatra and Ptolemy, well, that's they're just okay. good fun. <laughs> That's acceptable. All right, now, this is something that Charlie and I were chuckling over. A person who is excommunicated does not enjoy any privileges of church membership. He may not wear temple garments or pay tithes and offerings. That is it. Yep. That's where they draw the line. Yep. They, their magic underwear, do they confiscate the underwear? I, it How do they know? It they? doesn't say whether or not they <laughs> confiscate it. All right. Excommunication almost always lasts at least one year. If a person shows true repentance and satisfies, satisfies the conditions imposed while he is excommunicated, he may be readmitted by baptism and confirmation. Does that ever happen? Why would you want to go back to the church? Actually, it does, and I'm going to get into oh, that. God. There's something known as the September 6th, and we're going to get into that. But Were those uh, the people who were purged for being um, too intellectual? Yeah. 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 We'll I remember get reading that. about that in college. and It happened in the 1990s. D. Michael Quinn, I think, was one of them. Yep. He was a historian who happens to also be homosexual. And he wrote a book that um, was very inflammatory. It was about plural marriages uh, in the years that were... Um, he essentially proved that, that there church were plural at the highest level after, from yeah. 1890 to 1904 between the first and second manifesto. Yep. They, I think and they kicked him out. He was it. excommunicated for that. Yeah. Uh, anyway. For telling the truth, basically. For telling the truth. But that's not... There's a precedent for that in yeah. the Mormon church. All right, all right. So we'll get to that in a second. Right now, we have when a disciplinary council is mandatory. So going down the list, first and foremost, murder. As used here, murder refers to deliberate and unjustified taking of human life. So if you're a soldier, you're exempt from that excommunication. Yep. Yep. Abortion is not defined as murder for this purpose. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Do they say abortion is strongly discouraged? Or is just cutting my spermatic cord or the the, <laughs> the vas deferens? And the... Actually, they do talk about abortion. And basically, the only time abortion is allowed is if somebody has been a victim of incest or rape or if it's a medical condition. Well, it's not the baby's fault. Once again, that's my point. <laughs> if God allowed this person to... I mean, be raped or... Be raped and allowed them to be impregnated, then isn't yeah. that this spiritual child's chance here yes. on Yes, you're thwarting God's plan, actually. If God allows the rape to carry, to carry, to carry forth a child, child. Yeah. then God wants that child there. I mean, obviously, that's, that, that's the reason why you can't cut your genitalia to uh, stop the children. Clearly. Because that's stopping God's plan. So... I don't understand that. 
Uh, question for you. If you get a vasectomy and then spill your seed on the ground, remember it doesn't have sperm in it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Is it still a sin? <laughs> I don't think so because you're still carrying all the little babies inside. That's right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So obviously you've found a, a loophole. A loophole. Well, except that they don't like vasectomies. Yeah, yeah. All right, so incest. Yeah, incest is the next one is uh, basically sexual relations between a parent and a natural adopted or foster child or stepchild. A grandparent is considered the same as a parent. Incest also refers to sexual relations between brothers and sisters. So that's probably the difference. Yeah. And basically bishops are to refer questions on specific cases to state presidents if there's any question as to whether or not they should excommunicate. Gotcha. The next one is child abuse. If you're beating your child, then uh, that is a mandatory disciplinary counsel. So that's excommunication if you smack your kid around. Yep. Yeah. Well, smack them around too much. If you're not leaving bruises, they can't prove it. And in the uh, later on, when you actually get into uh, this church handbook, it requires two witnesses to come forward and to accuse you of this if you are denying it. If there's just one witness... You can deny it all you like, and the bishop can't do anything about it. Do they have anything about um, referring to Child Protective Services or anything they, like that? They have something about that in there, but it wasn't pertinent to this podcast, gotcha. so I didn't read it. I mean, I know that as a physician, if I even suspect child abuse, by law, I am required to report the person to Child Protective Services. Uh, I, bet they, I bet they have the same sort of, or a similar. Yeah. Now, the number one reason why people are excommunicated is apostasy. Now, interestingly enough, where apostasy is concerned, you can apostatize all you want. In your head. In your head. <laughs> you can stop going to church. You can be an apostate all you want. But until you actually come out and, and start talking about it to people and become a threat to the church, that's when you're excommunicated. That is exactly what happened to my parents. Um, they were attempted to be fellowshipped, and they were quiet about their beliefs for a long time. They were attempted to be fellowshipped, and um, the person who came over kept quizzing him down. Why don't you go to church? Why don't you go to church? Why don't you go to church? And so finally, you know, she explained it, uh, the doctrinal differences, and um, that, caused, that caused all the problems. <laughs> See, that was the problem, is she actually came out, and she actually explained it. Now, uh... yeah, she came out of the closet, basically. <laughs> Well, we can't have her doing that. That would just be wrong. Now, there are actually, they, they define uh, apostasy in four ways. The number one, repeatedly act in clear, open, and deliberate public opposition to the church and its leaders. I love that. I can't believe that they are so insecure about their beliefs that they cannot take any opposition or criticism of the church or its leaders. Now, that is absolute cult status right yeah. there. And right now, this is straight out of the church's mouth. This is a handbook of instructions handed out to bishops and state right. presidents, so there's no denying right. that if you're in opposition of the church or its leaders, that's apostasy. Grounds for excommunication. That's grounds for excommunication right there. They will kick you out. Um, imagine if the United States functioned the same way. It would be a... Uh, tyrannical state, right? It'd be a dictatorship. That's exactly what it is. Totalitarianism. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. It'd be a totalitarian state. You cannot be like North Korea. You can't criticize or even act at all in uh, opposition publicly. Yeah. All right, the next one is persist in teaching 
as church doctrine information that is not church doctrine after they have been corrected by their bishop or a higher authority. The only exception is when that church doctrine, current church doctrine, conflicts with early church doctrine. <laughs> <laughs> However, if you're corrected and you continue, then you're excommunicated. Right. So you can't teach like what Brigham Young did, Adam-God doctrine or plural marriage, uh, now. Yeah. Uh, you'd be in full fellowship in his age, but right now, right now you'd be in trouble. You'd be excommunicated. All right. Number three, continue to follow the teachings of apostate sects, such as those that advocate plural marriage. <laughs> I love it. Charlie. Specifically. Yeah. After being corrected by their bishop or a higher authority. So basically, you can go out and have plural women, but as soon as you're corrected, you have to give it all up. Yeah. You got to turn away those uh, extra three wives and children that you've um, married and produced. Yeah. Now, this, this next one is very interesting. Number four, formally join another church. That's because only the ch Mormon church is the true church. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, it actually states in here, I can't remember where, but it actually states that a person can go and visit these other churches, but as soon as they join another church, that's apostasy. <laughs> I love it. Wait, it's right here. <clears throat> Total inactivity in the church or attending another church does not constitute apostasy. However, if a member formally joins another church, excommunication or name removal may be necessary if formal membership is not ended after counseling and encouragement. And there you have it. They don't like any opposition whatsoever. Ooh, what's this one? Serious transgression while holding a prominent church position. Does that cover, say, lying when you're an apostle? Like, uh, <laughs> what was that guy's name? Boyd K. Packer? There was, I'm, there was I'm an, not sure what you're talking about. There was an apostle who was um, telling stories in general conference about how his buddy died in his arms, right, in like World War II or the Korean War, and, you know, all these kind of faith-inspiring, all this stuff. And uh, someone actually did some research and found the guy who was still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is awesome. So <laughs> he was embarrassed, and, and he came out and he said, well, actually, I was just teaching in parables. Uh, the <laughs> oh. And the difference is, of course, Jesus didn't star in his own parables. <laughs> Jesus wasn't the good Samaritan. <laughs> wow. Wow. Talk about building yourself up. Yeah. And I don't think he was ever disciplined publicly anyway. All right. All right. Well, let's go through the serious transgressions that can be used against them. It includes, but is not limited to, attempted murder, rape, sexual abuse, spouse abuse, intentional serious physical injury of others, adultery, fornication, homosexual relations, deliberate abandonment of family responsibilities, robbery, burglary, theft, embezzlement, sale of illegal drugs, fraud, perjury, and false swearing. But you can sell legal drugs. So if you get a Percocet prescription, you can go and sell that. On yeah, the obviously. Now, how many of those uh, have you uh, committed? I knew you were going to ask me that. All right. Um, Murder? Check. Yep. Rape? Nope. Only with consent? Sexual? <laughs> Sex Again, with consent. With consent, sexual abuse. You never had a spouse. Spouse abuse, never had. Intentional serious physical injury or yeah. uh, of others. Yep. yep. I've, uh, I started uh, an underground boxing ring, and I've actually joined several others. I actually um, would prefer people in 
have intentional serious physical injury rather than unintentional. <laughs> Very <laughs> That's true. the person I don't want to hang around. All right, let's see. Adultery is next. Yes, this morning. What? <laughs> Amber's still married. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, she's still waiting for the divorce to go through. So basically, I've been... Well, see, the first time I committed adultery, it wasn't my fault. I didn't know she was married. Gotcha. Yeah. I but every time that. after that. I, I like it how they... Well, no, no, I'm not talking with Amber. I'm talking with oh. a different woman. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Love how they separate adultery and fornication. Yeah. Fornication... Um, uh, obviously. Kind of automatically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Homosexual relations? Hell no. You were doing so well. I, I was trying. You... <laughs> You had checked everything off so far. All right. Now, deliberate abandonment of family responsibilities. I'm pretty sure I can get with that because when I went against my parents when we were doing that, that family business, yeah. I pretty much said, you know what? Uh, if I'm not a partner in this, I'm obviously just a hired hand. So that, so I would think so. How about robbery? Yes. Burglary? Yep. Theft? Yep. Embezzlement? Nope. Damn it. Sale of illegal drugs? Yep. Fraud? Depends. <laughs> I think that's, well, right. perjury? I don't think so. What about false swearing? Hell yeah. Oh, what does I mean, that mean? <laughs> false swearing. If, I think that means you tell someone something and then you um, go against it or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know anybody who isn't guilty of that. You say something and then, oops, can't reach my commitments, or you just say it just to get them off your back. Yeah, all right. Yeah. All right, well... um you you have a, a pretty good. That's probably like, you probably got like a B or a B minus on that. I'd have to say a higher B. I mean, come on. <laughs> I actually killed a guy. I, I should rate a little higher on that's that. That's impressive. So that's impressive. Yeah. All right. So interestingly enough, we've come to the point <clears throat> where we've determined I seriously deserve excommunication. Right. So what happens when a member seriously deserves excommunication is um, depending on the seriousness of the transgression they either have like the state president there if that's the case they have like 12 other members yep with my six parents, of which actually go on your side to kind of act in your defense no oh, sweet if uh, <laughs> i would love for that to happen with my parents yeah yeah <laughs> uh in in my parents case it was i think a ward once the bishop and his two counselors were there yep that's what happens in um, so your your dad was probably a counselor of the bishop Probably. I, I, he wasn't the bishop at that time, I wouldn't think. I think he was a counselor. Yeah. Or he may have just been a witness. I don't know. Anyway, you're you're um, given this uh, letter, right? Yep. Of notice. Delivered by two Melchizedek priesthood people, men, or in certified mail. So you're actually given a letter with enough time to build your defense and to be there for your excommunication. Yeah, I love how they put it. Um, enough time for them to... For the people who are accusing to drum up all the facts and enough time for the person who's accused to um, reflect unhurriedly on the nature of the transgression and, and, oh God, and its consequences. It almost sounds like they're guilty already. Yeah. Right? This isn't a real court. It's just kind of a show trial. Well, I mean, are any of these people actually trained in law? Uh, yeah, exactly. I'd love to sit in on one of these things yeah, just to yeah. see how it works. So so then you come to the, the night, Then right? you come, and you actually have somebody who sits on your behalf. And uh, from Really? What, I'm going to have to ask my parents about that. Well, that's what the state's in here. someone that sits and argues, because I think my parents did all the arguing themselves. The presiding officer helps the member prepare for the disciplinary council by explaining its purpose and procedure. So you have someone sitting there beside you, kind of helping you along through it. All right, I got you. All right, so then after the council begins... They have an opening prayer, 
Um, <laughs> of course, to get the spirit in there yes. as they're about to cast somebody out from their midst. Yes. And then, uh, basically, as it goes along, um, you have the clerk who's sitting there who's kind of jotting down everything that's being said. So, I mean, basically a secretary. Interestingly enough, if you deny the reported misconduct, um, the evidence has to be brought forward in the form of written or oral statements, witnesses, uh, reliable documents, podcasts, podcasts. Uh, <laughs> I think we've got enough there. And uh, the member is actually given the opportunity to question the witnesses against him. Now, curiously enough is witnesses should be church members unless the presiding officer has determined in advance that a non-member witness will respect the purposes and procedures of the church disciplinary council. Uh, I think I'd go in there and just light up a cigarette. <laughs> I don't smoke, but it would be worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's what I should do. Big old stogie. <laughs> All right, now, witnesses, they actually wait in a separate room until they're ready to give their evidence. And uh, the presiding officer asked them not to talk with each other about the matter, either before or after their testimony. Now, really, you well, got them in the same room. <laughs> Come on. I love it. I'm glad that there are um, controls on this behavior. Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, then it shoots back and forth with the presiding officers, counselors, asking questions, the member or witnesses answering back and forth. And then when all relevant matters have been presented, the presiding officer excuses the member and, with his counselors, prayerfully deliberates over what action to take. The presiding officer is the judge, and he makes the decision through inspiration. If his counselors have a different opinion, he listens and seeks to resolve the difference so the decision can be unanimous. Now, once again, we've already established that if you go against one of your leaders, that's apostatizing. So, how often... Really, would in one of these situations, would you have the bishop, the actual leader, up there, he's made a decision, and have one of his counselors say, no, that's not the impression I got. Right. He'd find himself in a church court next week. Yeah. For so, apostasy. I mean, really. It's, it's just very interesting. Now, um, interestingly enough, this entire process is supposedly uh, in Doctrine and Covenants 102, 9, and 18. This is... This is basically the church procedure in the Doctrine and Covenants. So if you want to go there to read, that's one way of doing it. But i got to warn you, it's not very interesting. So after you get ex... So, so they come back and they excommunicate you because God... You know, they have a direct line. God told them, um, you're excommunicated. Then you have to spend at least a year... At least a year in open repentance before you can even be considered for... How do they know? You can't come to church, can you, if you're excommunicated? No, no, no. you can come to church. You can't... Oh. You just can't pay the tithing. You can't have the sacrament. The you sacrament. can't have any church roles. Gotcha. But you can only attend public church meetings. So you can't go to, uh, like, Relief Society... Priesthood meetings. Priesthood, yeah, you know... Elders all quorum. There's the bunches. Can you still do... Um, Family home evening? <laughs> I don't think that's public, so I would say no. Just, no, I can't do that. No. All right. So tell us about the September 6th. All right. Now, the September 6th were Mormons excommunicated and one disfellowship meant in September of 1993. And basically, the reason why they were excommunicated is because they were speaking against church doctrine and the leadership. And uh, how the term September 6th came up is because that was what was coined by the actual uh, Salt Lake Tribune. 
um, I think these people were all scholars. They're all intellectuals. Yes. Um, Every and, single one. So this was widely seen as an intellectual purge. And to me, even in 1993, I was a junior in college, um, I thought this was absolutely ridiculous. If you start excommunicating all the smart people in your church, what are you, what are you left with? Yeah. Um, really, Dumb people and sheep. It goes back to even the Catholic Church pointing out that you Could should you not... just say the Catholic I Church? Did, and if you would just ignore it and continue... <laughs> shut up. <laughs> you got the point. They're even saying don't get a higher education. Yeah. Well, yeah. anyway... The church certainly does not appreciate. We had to go over that one article by Boyd K. Packer. The oh, mantle is far, far greater. Far greater. Than, that is actually something I would love to go over. Yeah. It's just they, fraught with just ridiculous. They do not appreciate intellectual scholarship. In um, they have a, a research group called Farms. Have you heard that? No, I haven't. It's an apologetic group that starts with a position the Book of Mormon is true. And goes backward from there. So if there are a bunch of problems with the church, such as there's no DNA evidence, there's no archaeological evidence, uh, the, the church typically just refers you to a farms article on it. And there are a bunch of scholars at BYU. It's just, oh God. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, well, where the September 6th are actually concerned, all of them, except for Lynn Canaveral Whitesides, were excommunicated. Whitesides was actually disfellowshipped, and she is still considered a member of the church because she is still, as of 2004, disfellowshipped. Huh. The only one... She never repented? Never repented, never came back, and I'll get to the reason why in a second. <laughs> but the only one to ever turn around and get rebaptized was Abraham Gileadi. And with a name like that, I can understand why you would want to get into some sort of church. You, <laughs> you really have no social life outside of the church. No, no. Someone sees Abraham, and you really start going, okay. Anyway, where Whitesides is concerned, she was a feminist. And she used to speak on, now, in the, uh, the LDS religion, there is a mother in heaven. And, in fact, she is so beloved by God that he doesn't speak her name because God knew that if he spoke her name, that we would use it as a curse word down here as well. At least that's what my father told me. Anyway, she uh, was the first on September 14th that is to find herself in that trouble. One of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I saw your eyes blinking, but you didn't respond, so I, was, I continued. I was processing that. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> now... Uh, Interestingly enough, although Whitesides, now this is what I'm talking about where membership in the church is concerned, she is still considered a disfellowshipped member. So she's still a member of the church, but she claims that she burst out of the church and her marriage in 1993 and now considers herself a practitioner of Native American philosophies. In 2005, Whiteside was named in a U.S. District Court legal action as manager of a peyote-distributing Oklavueha Earthwalks. It's basically a Native American church. So now she's heavily into peyote and Native American religions. Well, I'm all for freedom of religion. <laughs> you just want some peyote. In fact, there's some <laughs> up the canyon. I could take you up and Excellent. pick some for you. Excellent. All right, now what we have here is Abraham Gileadi. He was a Hebrew scholar and a literary analyst who considered theological conservative. 
Yeah, I just really said that poorly. So with a name like Abraham Gileadi, um, he's Hebrew. So he's a Hebrew he's scholar. Hebrew. Um, theologically conservative, authored two books. And uh, they were LDS published. Both of these were LDS published. Now, interestingly enough... Um, ah, later pulled. The second book, after rising to the top of the LDS market, that, that one's about the last days, later pulled from the shelves through LDS Apostle Boyd K. Packer's intervention. Do you know why? No. It's because he, as a member, shouldn't be interpreting above his station. Ah, that makes sense. That's for Boyd K. Packer to do. Yeah, let's see. Um, this was actually a statement, according to Margaret Toscano, whose husband was among the September 6th, Gilead's books, Interpreting Mormon Scripture, challenged the exclusive right of members to define doctrine. Leaders to define doctrine. Uh, yeah, that's very important uh, for the Mormon Church. Um, however, there was a book put out by Bruce R. McConkie called Mormon Doctrine. And I've often argued with missionaries about the stuff that's in that Mormon Doctrine. And it was published by an apostle of the church. And I uniformly get the response... Well, that's not official doctrine. <laughs> if well, right that is here, an official doctrine, what is? Yeah, right here we have proof that <laughs> if you are thinking outside the box and coming up with your own uh, interpretations, you're slapped down for it. Now, it, it fascinates me that he was actually rebaptized, and as of since has written two books on Isaiah. Yeah, he's sticking with Isaiah because that's okay. Yeah, yeah, because obviously Isaiah is so convoluted that he can't get into too much trouble. Yeah, the church leaders themselves don't even understand Isaiah, so. Now, I spoke of uh, um, Meryl Toscano. She was the one that talked about why he was excommunicated. Uh, Paul Toscano was the one who uh, was excommunicated, and it was because of their book, Strangers in Paradox, Explorations in Mormon Theology. And uh, he later wrote a book, the Sanctity of Dissent, and a sequel, The Sacrament of Doubt. He didn't get excommunicated the first one. He definitely would have got excommunicated for the last two. Yeah, yeah. He uh, was ex excommunicated September 19th, 1993. The reason for his excommunication, as given by the church leaders, was his apostasy and false teachings. <laughs> That's awesome. Now He thinks it was because he was insubordinate and yeah. didn't... Um, Stop, uh, his stop his sharp criticism. criticisms. Yeah. That's the reason why. And uh, <laughs> that's pretty funny. And in 2007, Toscano wrote that he lost his faith like losing your eyesight after an accident and that he regrets the, that LDS church leaders have disregarded his criticisms of the church's growing anti-intellectualism, homophobia, misogyny, and elitism. Well, that's all true. In fact, we have opened up the handbook and proven yeah. that that is true. Now, both of them are still excommunicated. But i got to tell you, the church is a gerontocracy. It is led by a bunch of old, old men. And the, the way they choose their successor is, who's lived the longest? So, is it any surprise that old men are wanting to be uh, not questioned and that they're conservative and they're homophobic and they're misogynistic and they're elitist. Is there any question that that would be the case? If you had a leadership of young people, then guess what? Things All of that would probably disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's part and parcel with the way they've set up the church. Yeah. And it's been that way ever since 
pretty much Brigham Young died. He was church leader for 33 years. Ever since then, everyone's had a, a beard and, <laughs> and white hair. <laughs> and there's a reason. They're the oldest ones. Yep. And because of that, gerontocracy. Gerontocracy. It's no surprise that his wife, Margaret, was excommunicated on the 30th of November 2000, uh, or 2000 for her feministic views. Yeah. I'm surprised they don't just excommunicate people for being women. <laughs> I'm close. sorry, you have boobs. You're out of here. You're you're out of here. Well, Maxine Hanks is she was the next one to be excommunicated yeah. on September nineteenth. These women just do not know their place. No. That's the problem. No, and especially when she wrote a book, Women and Authority, Reemerging Mormon Feminism. What? Why is she not in the kitchen? Making dinner for her husband and, and being pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is one of my... That's favorites. her offense, essentially. Oh, listen to this. These are her credentials. She served an LDS mission, taught at the LDS Missionary Training Center, and worked for BYU in the 1980s. So, I mean, we're talking... So, she's huge... done a lot more stuff than uh, certainly I have, is not being a member of the church. I didn't go on a mission. Uh, a lot more stuff than you have, Leighton. Um, yeah. Leighton didn't go on a mission. Nope. Uh, and she actually, she got, she worked for BYU and taught at the, she was training future Mormons. Yeah. She was not only training future Mormons, but training future missionaries to go out and gather new Mormons. Yeah. So she uh, qualifies as a position of prominence, I guess. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough is, I mean, she's a smart cookie. She expanded into Christian, Christian liturgy and religious studies, including study at Harvard Divinity School. And privately, she's pursued Gnosticism. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, yeah, I'd actually like to read her books. She sounds like a really interesting. Yeah. Well, she's, she's continuing her work on women's studies in Mormonism and religion. Awesome. So sooner or later, you'll find some work. <clears throat> I can't believe she didn't come back to the church. I wonder why. Now, the next one is Lavina Fielding Anderson, who, again, a feminist writer who edited books... They should just put that in the handbook. If you're a feminist woman, you're out of here. Yeah. Well, this woman's great, too, because, I mean, listen to this. She edited the books Sisters in Spirit, Mormon Women in Historical and Cultural Perspective, and Lucy's book, the definitive edition of the Lucy Mack narrative. She is a former editor for The Enzyme and the current editor of the Journal of Mormon History since 1991. She was ex excommunicated on September 23rd. Huh. Now, it's it's fascinating that she's still doing this stuff, although excommunicated. Interesting. She attends LDS Church Services as a non-member. Uh, probably just for collecting data for her further writing. Yeah, that that's pretty much exactly what went through my head. <laughs> All right, the next one was... Well, this is the one I talked about. Yeah, Michael Quinn. So if you want to, go right ahead. Yeah, um, he it says here that he documented LDS church-sanctioned polygamy from 1890-1904. That's important because in 1890... They released the manifesto, which said that we're not going to do plural marriage anymore. They became a state in, I believe, 1896. So six years after they became a state, continued uh, to uh, practice polygamy <clears throat> at the highest um, offices of uh, the church into the apostles and uh, even the prophet. I think he documents several episodes of Wilford Woodruff uh, marrying people polygamously offshore uh, where they weren't uh, under uh, United States law. Um, and it came up in 1904, there were what called the Reed-Smoot hearings, because Reed-Smoot was Mormon, he was elected to the Senate, and the rest of the Senate said that he wasn't worthy to hold a seat, because his church, he was a monogamous, but his church believed in polygamy. Um, 
so uh, they were actually going to do a big investigation into the church because there are all these rumors about polygamy going, going on. on. Yeah. What they did was they issued a second manifesto in 1904. Not many people know about that. Uh, that's under Joseph F. Smith. And uh, in addition to that, they excommunicated two apostles for being renegades and doing, you know, and, and so basically, polygamy. yeah, they put the, all the sins of the, the church on the top of the, on the heads of these two um, that That's pretty shitty. Apostles. That's it pretty is. shitty. Absolutely. Can you imagine apostles getting excommunicated in this day and age today? Oh, that would just cause ripples throughout the church. It's amazing. Anyway, um, he was excommunicated, I'm sure, for that 1890-1904 article, which I've read and is very, very good. Now, now, the interesting thing is, this is what I liked about it, is that article actually argues that early Mormon leaders were greatly influenced by folk magic and superstitious beliefs, including stone-looking, oh, charms, and divining rods. Yeah, this was his book, Early Mormonism and the Magic Worldview. I think, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Joseph Smith certainly was. Uh, and so, so they don't like that. They, li they love to um, wash over this stuff. Uh, the fact that Joseph Smith was uh, prosecuted for gold digging and uh, using seer stones before he ever got into the Mormonism. Yeah, uh, that they, stuff they completely just washed that over. Glossed right over. And in fact, uh, last I heard, the reason why that was all right is because everybody was doing it back in that day. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's actually their excuse for it. I looked that up. Despite his excommunication and critical writings, Quinn still considers himself to be a Latter-day Saint. Yeah, now what I love is he still considers himself, and some of the books he's written are, same-sex dynamics among 19th century Americans, a Mormon example. The Mormon hierarchy, extensions of power, the Mormon hierarchy, origins of power. So, I mean... <laughs> yeah, again, that excommunication, I think, was inevitable. Yeah, yeah, I mean... That certainly, reminding Mormons of their own history is grounds for apostasy. I mean, that is uh, excommunicable offense. They should add that one in there. Don't look into Mormon history if you want to continue to be a Mormon. Yeah, yeah. If you do, that's apostasy. Telling yeah. telling the truth as different from our version of the truth is horrible. Yep. And pretty much that's all I've got for right now. And uh, I would like to point out that we're at 75 minutes. So do you really think we need that 20-minute filler in the beginning where yes. I couldn't get you to shut up? It's very, very important. Obviously very important. Extremely um See, what you're talking about is, boy, I'm like the color person on the sports <laughs> bling, channel, bling, right? Wiki, wiki. It's, uh, you know, you give the plays and I give the color. So I'm sure, I'm and sure our two listeners, if they've made it this far through. been completely offended by <laughs> that comment. <laughs> been absolutely enthralled by my uh, color commentary. Yeah, that's not exactly the way I would title it, but, uh, you know, to each his own. All right, uh, next week we may do Boyd K. Packard's article, or we may do something other than Mormonism. I'm pretty sure next week we are actually doing our guest Bob. Well, it's only the third week of the... Oh, no, that'll be the fourth week, I suppose. Yes, it will. All right, next week we got a guest podcast coming up with, um, actually, the Michael Dowd guy, right? Michael Dowd. Yeah, evolution and, and Christianity. That ought to be really interesting. Well, we should hope so. Otherwise, what's the point in listening? I won't have to do quite as much color commentary next week. Thank God.